Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol amim, veinatananu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, notein ha-torah. Amen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, may you grant refuah shlema continually to Esther, Bat, Sarah, and also may we hasten the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Well, Shalom Alechem and Shalom Rabbah, Shalom Vesimka to everybody. Well, it's been a while since the Agarit to the Romans podcast has been active so to speak, uh, just got out of Pesach. So without further ado, just want to give a quick update that um, our very own Neria Roque has been summoned to another part of the galaxy to go fight crime elsewhere. So I will be solo soloing this for the rest of the uh, trek for the letter to the Romans, the Agarit to the Romans podcast series. So big shouts out and a toda rabah, 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 on top of rabah with a lot of toda to Naria Roque for helping me get started. Uh, it's been a beautiful process so far as far as going through getting some actual meaning and context to what is actually going on with Shaul's words to this congregation of Lapidim over here in Rome. So again, just to kind of reiterate and recap, uh, one of my favorite highlights has been you know, at the very beginning, when it says that this letter is from Shaul, who is an Evid or a bondservant of Rebbe Melech Hamashiach, Yehoshua, which is obviously Yeshua. And it says that he was summoned to be a Shliach, which is the word for Kriya called chosen, set apart, right? And set apart for the Besora. Hageula of Hashem. So just from that, you know, Naria Roke dropped the epic thing about the Evid is a person who is a part of the household in which he is serving. So if you go back to Parsha Mishpatim, how do you have a servant? First of all, if they're a guy, they get circumcised, which means they're now entering into Torah. And they also keep the Shabbat. They also keep the festivals and they're not allowed to do any idolatry. They're not allowed to do any type of debauchery or any type of non-Torah approved things. And, um, you know, this is why it's so cool to know Torah as you study anything from the Basora or any of the letters or any of Revelation or any of Acts. If you have a Torah knowledge, a Torah background, this like completely helps everything. So there is no way on the blue watery earth that Shaul could be writing to Christians or that he could be writing to Muslims, or that he could be writing to anything else besides Jews, because he calls himself an Evid of Rebbe Melech Hamashiach. So if he is truly an Evid, he can only be a part of one household, because remember, no servant can serve two masters. Okay, so like that doesn't work. So he's either 
for Torah, true Judaism, which is orthodoxy, which is a Pharisee, or he's something else, which is not good. We don't want to call him something that he is not. So let's just leave it at that. But anyway, uh, so, you know, he kind of gets into his introduction and really talking about the Basora, talking about the Ruach HaKodesh. And interestingly enough, we match these same qualifications, you know, for those of us who truly feel that drawing in our souls to walk with Hashem, to obey his law, you know, and we've been born again through renewal by the Ruach HaKodesh. We've been immersed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Mashiach. Like now, with that being the case, we now fit the title of Shliach. Avraham was a Shliach. Yitzhak was a Shliach. Yaakov was a Shliach. Okay. Kepha was a Shliach. And Kepha was way more than a Shliach, as we know, because Mashiach Yeshua says, upon this rock, will I build up my congregation? He didn't say church. I know that's, I know you're just thinking, oh, he's going to say he built the church on the rock. All right. Okay. So I'm just going to let you know, no church is built on a rock. Okay. Churches are usually built on sandy places, which is why they're not keeping the festivals. Now that was kind of harsh, but it's the truth. This particular section of the letter that I'm going to read today with the help of Hashem is going to be very, very harsh. And I just want to let everybody know, um, visit your Seder table, like where we had the maror. You know, it's going to be a lot of maror today, not on purpose, but it's going to be out of love. Reading, interestingly enough, the Hasidic insights in Parashat Kedoshim, because yes, like I said in my other podcast, Dr. Sakal and I are pressing forward with uh, the Torah portions. Uh, So this week we're supposed to be studying Akare Mot. So we studied that actually last week and we're re-gleaning this week as well as moving on into Kedoshim. So uh, anyway, all that extra TMI for you, uh, just in case you were wondering, uh, why am I in Kedoshim? That's why. Okay, but anyway, so we're doubling up on Parashot, which I should just go ahead and mention the reason why we're behind is because that whole eighth day of Pesach thing. So Yisrael does not keep an eight day Pesach. So this past Shabbat, when we were doing Shabbat Yikzor, which is the Shabbat of remembrance uh, after the week of Pesach, uh, Yisrael went ahead and went into Akare Mot. So this week they're actually studying Kedoshim and we will be behind them by one week due to that whole transpiring of events until Parsha Behar Bekukotai. So we're going to double up on that very, very hefty Parsha and be ready for Shavuot together so that we can head into Bamibar and get all the blessings and curses out of the way, which is uh, in those two Torah portions, Behar and Bekukotai, the big long section of... uh, cursing curses and blessings which is similar to what happens later in devarim so anyway just so you kind of know what's going on uh so when it comes to correlating this podcast um the igarit because i i'm taking snippets of the parsha 
with uh, the sections that we're going through of the particular letter here to the Romans. So yes, I will be either picking one of the two Torah portions I'm studying that week, or I will be following along with the parshots that we're studying. Just happened, just so happened that this week, I actually have things from Akare and I actually have things from Kedoshim. So this will be a double up on the letter. But Baruch Hashem, just wanted to give you that heads up. Um, now, back to the introduction. When Shaul gets going, he hits this drop about suppressing the truth, which actually leads us to where we are. You know, so I'm going to start in um, verse 14, where he says, I am Meshubad. Oh, by the way, Agarit to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, because, you know, it's been, we're, all, we're almost done, by the way. So, Bezrat Hashem, with the following podcast, we will complete chapter 1. Come on! It's only been almost half a year. Just kidding. Pretty close. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so here we go. So verse 14, I am Meshubad, which is obligated morally under Shebud, which is obligation to both cultured Greek speakers and non-Greek speaking barbarians, both the learned and the untutored. So we get this sense here that there are so many different people that this is aimed at, you know, basically educated and uneducated, uh, rural and suburban, as well as those who are just completely just out in the off the grid, basically, you know, this is to like everybody. So he's just like, I got to teach to whoever I can. And I got to teach the Besorah Hageula, which again, this is the good news of the redemption. Because whether we like it or not, the redemption has begun. It began when Mashiach, you know, basically was born. Because, I mean, that's when all the amazingness really came forth. But more particularly with the acceptance of his Akidah by Hashem and with the validation of that Akidah via the resurrection. Because Mashiach can be an Akidah all day, but it won't make a lick of difference if... He wasn't resurrected because now all the work that was done to, so to speak, clear the check. Um, now you don't have any uh, safeguard for that. You don't have basically, uh, I guess, in banking terms, you don't have uh, what's that called when you you draw the bank into uh, insufficient funds. So you don't have that kind of coverage to keep you from going into insufficiency. So with Mashiach's resurrection, however, you have that coverage. You will no longer be able, if you've truly been immersed in Mashiach, you will truly not be able to go back into deficit, which means go back into bondage, go back into slavery, unless you just got rid of the coverage which would mean you would deny everything that he did, which would make you a heretic and among many other things. So you'd, you'd basically have a lot of work to do if you want to do that. So, uh, but anyway, that's not really a good example as far as something that's very solid and sturdy, but just to give you a picture of the power that uh, exists 
with us who have truly attached ourselves to the vine. You know, there is that nourishment that we have undergone and that we're continuing to undergo. And so as we're living through our challenges and our struggles, making teshuva on our teshuva, constantly renewing ourselves, which which is called Heed Kachut, which is actually going to be in chapter 12 of this current Agarit that we're in. So all of that to say, you know, the, the Geula is now, it's happening. And so we're waiting on the final Geula is what, what's the, the uh, status, which may come speedily and soon with the return of Mashiach Yeshua and the building and the bringing forth of the third Beit HaMikdash. So just want to encourage us all to yearn for that. The best way to prep Okay, for all my preppers out there, hopefully all of us are preppers in some way or another. Best way to prep is to daven, first of all. Ask Hashem to show you what your part is in bringing Mashiach. Because we all have a part in that. Which, interestingly enough, that is in the overview to uh, the Kehert Humash on Parsha Kedoshim. All of our actions and things like that, they all hasten the coming. So, if all of us are doing that, and not to mention Rabbi Trugman uh, bringing down during uh, last week's um, s- snippets on Pesach studies that he was saying there's a critical mass of, so to speak, energy that has to be built up that will supercharge all of creation for the return of Mashiach Yeshua. I.e., we get into that picture of what's it going to look like when Mashiach returns. Is everyone going to be holy righteous or holy wicked? Which, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean that the whole world has to accept righteousness. If we have a small group of us that are really handling our business uh, in righteousness, then, you know, there's that. So anyway, uh, so don't be uh, just kind of dismayed about, well, how are we going to get the whole world to follow Torah? Well, first of all, if you do your part, then you ain't got nothing to worry about. Second of all, the next way to prep is to learn everything about temple service. Learn all the the measurements and learn all the sacrifices that actually go together. Learn the different times of the day. Follow halakhic times because prayer has taken the place of the korbanot and the reason why we have to do certain prayers by certain times of the day called zamanim, a.k.a. halakhic times, it's because that keeps us on track with the temple service. So if we're praying, we got our mind focused, we're doing our role, and we are uh, prepping for the service by actually operating our life that way, setting clocks if we need to, uh, getting the apps for the halakhic times, knowing, you know, Marif, Shakari, Minka, okay, doing our Shema twice a day, you know, doing the Amidah, understanding how that works, you know, reading our Siddur. Read, like, there's troves of commentary in your Siddur. You don't even need to worry about a Talmud right now if you haven't read your Siddur. Just saying. Just because that's, the Siddur is absolutely ridiculous. And then once you get, once you feel like you've quote-unquote mastered your Siddur, then you need to get a set of Magzorim, a Magzor, a festival Siddur. Because that's going to be extra 
commentary, like what Rabbi Griffin was alluding to about the Yom Kippur service of the Kohen Gadol and how he has a, so to speak, wife in waiting, you know, just in case his wife dies on the day of Yom Kippur, he already will have a backup, you know, because it's just that important. And what does that mean? And why would he have to stay up all night? And what did he talk about while he was staying up all night? How come he was barefoot? And how come the service was the way it was? And when was the divine name actually uttered? Since Yom Kippur is Parsha Akare Mot, and we learn about the divine name and entering into the Holy of Holies and all of that. So if you had a Makzor, a Makzor for Yom Kippur, that would like give you all the goods. So anyway, there's a Magzor for Pesach. There's a Magzor for Shavuot. There's a Magzor for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Okay, so that's five. Okay, like the books of Torah. So anyway, get you a Sidur, get you some Magzor, and uh, learn about the Corbinot. That is the best way to prep. And the cool thing about this is Judaism really shows us that the way to really fight battles and the way to go to war is not the convenient, com conventional. There we go. There it is. Finding words. Here we go. Shooting them down. The conventional ways in which to fight or battle are not what we think. Okay. We don't need to necessarily do a hundred thousand push-ups in 10 minutes and uh you know be able to swim across the ocean because our the way we fight is through torah like i'm not talking just reading and studying torah but i'm talking about doing it I'm talking about embodying it like literally becoming a living torah scroll becoming the epitome of the greatest commandment like you are the greatest commandment kind of thing so when we're doing that and we're encouraging other people to do the same exact thing, that's how you bring the redemption. That's how you keep your mind ready and like you're not going to be so scared or freaked out when you start hearing the shofar blast. You're not going to be so scared and freaked out when when the dead are raised. You're not going to be so scared or freaked out when pillars of fire are transporting us all and people are traveling across the ground and the earth is quaking and we're going to Yerushalayim. You know, you're not going to freak out by all that because you're ready. You're preparing for it. You're doing what it takes to make that happen. So don't go rush to Temple Mount. Don't go try to make uh, half conversions or fake conversions so that you can make Aliyah. You want to make Aliyah for real. You don't want to just make Aliyah, okay? So that means you need to have your faith in Mashiach Yeshua intact, okay? Because he who endures to the end is the only one who truly has salvation, which is Yeshua. So with all that being said... That's the intensity that Shaul has behind why he's writing these Igerot, these letters. So none of his letters, there are not a single one of them, if they are anti-Torah, if they encourage you to not be observant, throw it out. But the beautiful thing is, none of them do. Now, I know that's crazy. Because it's just kind of like, but what about the part that says we're not under the law? Well, 
that's actually from Galatians, but I'm going to go ahead and jump over to Galatia real quick and swerve, even though I know this is a short podcast, but uh, I'm going to do my best to put as much in here as possible because um, it just it just has to happen. It just needs to. Okay. So anyway, not being under the law. Back in Parsha Yitro, yes, Parsha Yitro teaches us about what does it mean to be under the law. We, as Israel, came out of Mitzrayim, and we got through the Yom Suf, and we started into the wilderness, and we were complaining the whole time. And I'm saying we because, truly, when we read through the Torah, we need to see ourselves as being delivered and being brought into the land. That's the only way to really learn something, is to immerse yourself in it, okay? Because it's actually true. Had we been there, we wouldn't have done any differently. Just take the challenge. Okay, cool. I challenge you to to think that and see how that works. Because, by the way, you need to know that our life that we live now is of the same level. Okay? We, as we go through our daily life, are considered to be in the quote-unquote wilderness on our way to the quote-unquote promised land, okay? So Hashem is doing miraculous things for us at every single moment. And if we don't realize that, then we are now, mazel tov, not really, uh, back to what we're reading about here in in the uh, Parshot in the book of Shemot, where we're complaining because it's just like, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Man, I didn't really get to sleep as much as I want to. I don't want to eat this. I want to eat that. You know, man, I just wish I had this. I don't tired of having that. Okay. That's called complaining. And you got to, we, we, I'm going to put myself in there because I, I'm be making comments too. And I need to make shuva. And I'm doing it right now in public. Oh, gosh. Transparency for clarency. Whoa, awkward. Okay. Anyway, so after I made my teshuva, let's continue that, you know, back in Parsha Yitro, this is the case. We were complaining. We got to the mountain and it was just like, okay, so kol echad, nasevenishma, Hashem, we want your Torah because we told Moshe was coming down. He was saying what we needed to do, wash our clothes, burst our garments, da 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 It's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to give you the Torah, and this is what's going to happen. And it's like, okay, so the day comes, 6th of Savon, Shavuot, a.k.a. Pentecost, okay, 50 days after Pesach, all that, okay. 50 days specifically after the 16th of Nisan, which is Resurrection Day, the beginning of counting the Omer. But anyway, not Resurrection Sunday because Sunday and the 16th of Nisan rarely ever correlate. So if you call it Resurrection Sunday, you've called yourself a Sadducee. So we don't want to do that. That's sad, you see. Okay, anyway. Um, so yeah, so the day comes for the giving of the Torah. We've counted our Omer. We counted our 50 days and we were dead sleep and Hashem's like okay I thought y'all were ready for this but y'all are all you know you know and he starts sounding a shofar and the people freak out wake up real fast with a modayani you know and then they're like okay 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 you know and the mountain Mount Sinai lifts up out of the ground, off the earth, 
Yes, the earth. Mount Sinai lifts up off the earth, y'all. Then it flips upside down like a volcano is like pointed at you or something. Because, you know, Mount Sinai kind of looked like a volcano just a little bit. But anyway, so the mountain's upside down and Hashem hovers it over the people. It's like we got the clouds of glory surrounding us and now we got a mountain on top of us. Okay, so this is what it looked like. And so Hashem's like, okay, here we go. I'm going to give you the tour now. This is called under the law, which is a fancy phrase, tachat hahar, beneath the mountain. So this was the case in the wilderness that we were freaking out. Hashem was giving us the Torah. The mountain was hovered over our head. Hashem was like, the reason why I'm hovering the mountain over your head is because I want this to be a hoopah because if you embrace the Torah, if you accept it and you, you really do not save nishma, you really do want this Torah, then, you know, it's all good. The mountain's a hoopah. It's beautiful. It's decorations. It's how I decorate. I put you underneath the rock surrounded by the clouds. Okay. Like, and the mountain that should crush you is actually going to be like it's decoration, y'all. And so it's just kind of like, okay. But the caveat is, or the flip side of it is, pun intended because the mountain's flip side, that Hashem said, but if you won't accept this Torah, then I'm going to drop this mountain on you. And it's just going to look like a flat piece of land because remember, the mountain's upside down. So the bottom that came out the earth is going to just sit down and it's going to make a level ground, you know? And it's just going to be like, oh, what happened to this nation that was brought out of Egypt? And it's like, I don't know. They disappeared. They uh, rocked out. Or they're a little under the weather. But anyway, so that's the case. And that's called being under the law. And now we're not under the law because of Mashiach Yeshua, who is our groom, by the way. We are the bride. He's the groom. Okay? And so we want to get married to him. And the beautiful thing about Mashiach is he is a mountain. You know, oh, great mountain before Zerubbabel, that passage from the Tanakh. Okay, anyway, but we're not going to go there. But uh, yeah, so through Mashiach Yeshua, remember, immersed in his death, burial, resurrection, we now become one with him. Mashiach, y'all, is not under the law. He is the law. So we're bound to the law. We're one with the law. We have the same ideals, perspectives. And even if we don't feel like we do, we cause our flesh, which is a body of death, until it gets resurrected to newness of life, we battle against it to keep us from doing what we want to do. You may have read that verse somewhere. Of course, that's in one of Shaul's letters. Actually, it's in this one. You know, it's in uh, the Egeret to the Romans. But anyway, um, so we're fighting against our flesh to bring our flesh into submission to the spirit that is at work within us. But until all of the impurity, all of the Zohama, which, by the way, is what we've been talking about with our 
purifying us from our defilements and our evil and our impurities. You may recognize these prayers from our blessings and prayers as we're counting the Omer, which Bezerah Hashem every night, everyone's counting. Get your Omers in line so you can receive Torah. You know, so you realize we read that prayer and that's literally what that prayer is for. Getting getting our flesh to come into submission, you know, getting putting off the old, putting on the new, thinking with a new mind, setting our minds on things above, you know, being transformed, being hikachued, renewed. OK, so that's what that's all about. And so through Mashiach Yeshua, we're not under it anymore. We're not under that same picture. We come to the mountain so to speak but the mountain is literally a hoopa this time like it was originally by the way because if you realize B'nai Yisrael did not get crushed under it so it had to be a hoopa but the thing is is Hashem doesn't have to threaten us now he doesn't have to say or if you don't because if you truly have the mind of Mashiach which you should if you've been immersed with him died with him and you're raised to newness of life with him and every single day walking with him. And how can two walk on the same path unless they're walking in agreement? Because if you don't want to walk where Mashiach is walking, i.e. he says, I keep the feast of Hashem as written in Vayikra 23. But you say, no, I keep the feast of, of, I guess, Rome? Because... Because I don't know where Xmas is in the Bible. I don't know where Shalloween is in the Bible. I don't know where Schmeister is in the Bible. I guess Schmeister gets translated as Passover, but Schmeister is like one day or two days with an interruption in the middle because it's like a Good Friday. But I've never really seen Good Friday and like how that's actually brought down. That's even not even in the letters. Like Paul didn't even say anything about Good Friday. So. You know, that means you're on a different path. So just just heads up, uh, newsflash, hello, if you love Yeshua HaMashiach or Hashem, you know, or which is the same. So anyway, got to be on the same path. So therefore, there is no need to threaten nobody. So you're no longer under the law. That's what that means. That's Parsha Yitro, and that's brought down from the sources and the commentary. Just study the Torah portion, and you will find it. Get you a good Humash, or get you a Tanakh, get you some Rashi commentary, and come to Sar Shalom. Synagogue in Saginaw, Texas. Okay, our home away from home. Uh, because our true home is Yerushalayim. But we can't go there yet. When we When we can then you best believe we getting there. So, with all that being said, now that I'm way over time, this week's section of the Agarit to the Romans is coming from the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, based off of Parsha Achare Mot, which is Vayikra 16, starting in verse 1, going all the way through chapter 18, ending in verse 30. And because it's so fun, we're also basing it on Parsha Kedoshim, Vayikra 19.1 through chapter 20, verse 27. So I want to open with a section of Parsha Karemot to talk about verse 26 and 27. Parsha Karemot, uh, I will be picking up in Vayikra 18. And starting at verse 21, 
This is coming from the Living Translation or Tree of Life version. Wow, that was terribly. I don't even know what I was thinking on that one. Okay, but anyway, the TLV Tree of Life version, because you know we all about that life around here. Okay, anyway, Vayikra eighteen twenty one says, "You are not to give any of your children in Corbin to Molech, and defile the name of your God Ani Adonai." First of all, Corbin, remember, remember, wow, remember, remember about Corbin? Okay, Corbin, when you do a Corbin, that means to draw near. So you're going to draw near to Moloch? Because if you give your children as a Corbin to Moloch, that's what you're doing. You're using your child who should be proclaiming you to, uh, proclaiming Hashem, who's, uh, by the way, your guarantor. Um, because in order for us to receive Torah, we have to have guarantors and our children are guarantors to make sure that we keep Torah because we're supposed to teach it to them. And they go, Hey, you remember that one time Abba or Ima, you taught me da, 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 da. So I'm just wondering, you know, why you're giving me the Molech now. So, because you said like, don't worship other gods and stuff and Shema Yisrael and whatnot. So is it low Shema Yisrael? Because now that's what it feels like. So anyway. That's giving your children a Molech. And yeah, babies can talk, um, by the way. You may not understand what they're saying, but they do. Anyway, so that's the significance of that verse. Moving on, it says, you are not to lie this right here. This right here. Okay? This is like hot button central. Okay? I know it's way too late to warn everybody, but we have this thing in our world called men liking men and women liking women and um you know being a little bit more than friendly with one another and sometimes getting a some type of contract of uh devotion to one another is how I would like to put that and uh you know obviously a man with a man they cannot produce offspring neither can a woman with a woman uh without outside interference uh via manufacturing up something like a chemist in a lab so uh this is the common thing in the world today and uh you know it's all over media of all mediums and uh it's like yeah we have to accept it because we gotta love these people and that means because we love them we don't you know, we don't diss them. We don't make them feel, you know, awkward or anything. It's just like, okay, so this one time, if you love someone who was in the street and there was a bus coming and they didn't know it, you wouldn't necessarily go, oh man, I love them so much. And that bus loves them so much. And I'll just let them just kind of chill out. First of all, you're probably going to do some kind of, hey, just want to let you know there's a bus coming your way. It's going to hit you, which will result either in injury or death. Okay? Most likely death because it's a bus and you're like a human. But I digress. Okay? Bus, I digress. Wow. Okay. So anyway, because bus can be like the Ashkenazi way to say but, you know, like as in trans or a uh, conjug. Wow. As in a... a linking word you know anyway wow that's terrible okay so uh yeah so you warn this person hey there's a bus coming you probably like put yourself 
uh, going towards the bus. Hey, could you stop? There's a person in front of you. I don't know if you know, or you go move the person or, you know, do something crazy, you know, to help this person out. So how do we help out a person who is in that predicament? Well, first of all, you cannot put up impeachment signs and picket fence it, you know, and be like, no more gay or no more homosexual. OK, you can't call them names. OK, would you want anyone to call you names if you struggle with alcohol? Do you really want people going around calling you an alcoholic? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So you can't do that. You can't be like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know guys hate you type of people and you're going to burn and gehen them? Okay? You can't do that either. That's just not right. So what do you do? Well, first of all, there is written in the word. Okay? Yes, obviously, I feel like maybe everyone knows that. But, uh, you know, it's just, hey, just want to let you know, um, I have no idea. First of all, this is a... This, this is not like, this is not the advice or the counsel that I want to give you, but it's a picture and an illustration I want to put out there because ultimately we need to seek Hashem in prayer about what to do first because Hashem has all the answers, first of all. So I just want to give you an illustration, okay? Because someone who is in this predicament, whether they're a man with a man or a woman with a woman, like in that kind of sense... Okay, you don't know what kind of progression got them to this point. Okay, you don't know if they're doing this in pain or if they're doing this out of manipulation or if they're doing this out of confusion or if they're doing this out of hurt, like emotional hurt, if they're just mentally not well or if they're doing this because they can't help themselves or if, if they're doing this because they feel like they've been taught this is the right way, you know, it could be a whole gamut of reasons. And is this something that has happened for them over time? And is this something that they're feeling like uh, Hashem is okay with it, even though his word says it's not? Because you realize if they know the word, and they still and they say, well, yeah, God's okay with it though. It's now the same thing that churches teach every week, whether it's Sunday, Saturday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. Pick, pick a day. It's now the same thing because churches have the same Torah that we read and study every week, but yet they look at it and go, yeah, I know God said that, but we don't do that anymore. Now. A person who's in the predicament of being a man with a man or a woman with a woman, they now have the same platform and they now can go to that establishment who shares the same platform. OK, and so and then it's the whole tolerance thing, the whole, you know, no discrimination. And it's just kind of like, OK, so there's a whole web of craziness. So this is why you can't just bust in there, you know, uh hot and loaded, you know, shots fired kind of thing. You can't do that. You can't just, you know, go in there like that. So you got to understand some things and ultimately Hashem will give you the counsel for all this stuff. So that's, uh, that's all I'm going to say on that. Just know truth is truth. And, uh, the way that we need to walk about and do things is through the word of Hashem. And obviously 
we need to seek out the oral Torah in this section as well. Uh, so if you're really wanting to get engaged into uh, confronting or anything like that, you have to, first of all, go to the person, get an understanding. Don't come at them judgmentally. You know, talk to your your uh, rabbi, talk to your leader of your community, you know, um, and come at it from a Torah point of view. Do not engage if you're not going to come from that route. Just saying, you're only going to make it worse. And that's the only way this problem has been dealt with thus far, to my knowledge, and that's why it is where it is. Interestingly enough, in our two verses here in the Egeret, we learn the reason why these things exist is because we've suppressed truth. We've not done Torah. We've perverted the way of Hashem. And for those of us who are Lapidim, we're just now getting the ball rolling. So Baruch Hashem, may we continue and realize Amalek is surrounding us right about now. Because guess what? Amalek was the first one who, who attacked us right out of Mitzrayim, right after we crossed the Yom Suf. He's like, yeah, I know Hashem fights for them and everything. And I know man is raining down. And I know they just destroyed like the world because Egypt was considered to be the world. But that's cool. If we die in the process, we got blood to spare. So uh, we coming for you. And honestly, Amalek is the embodiment of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination and all sorts of stuff that has to do with opposition to holiness. So that means any kind of doubt, any kind of fruitless work and labor that we could possibly do is aimed in hot right now, y'all. So, you know, fight back fight back that's the only thing i gotta say that's the reason why there, there's it is written fight the good fight why do you think we have to be superheroes why do you think we have to be stubborn in our observance because the way to fight is being observant the way to die is to not be observant okay just saying we're in a spiritual battle we got to fight spiritually understand that so now they were past that part Okay, it says, you are not to lie with a man. Back to our parsha. I hope you did not lose your place. Vayikra 18, still in verse 21. Well, now we're in verse 22. 22 starts with this. You are not to lie with a man as with a woman. That is an abomination. Same thing that's used for any of the unkosher animals, specifically the pig for sure, but anything that's not kosher, it's the same thing. So... If you are a man who lies with a man like a woman or a woman who does the same, you know, lie with a woman like you would lie with a man, you are now doing exactly what is called abomination, which is not eating kosher, which is idolatry, which is Lashon Hara, all sorts of stuff. So it's on the same level. So, yeah. Anyway, just uh, the more you know on that one. It says, you are not to lie with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor is any woman to give herself to an animal to lie down with it. That is a perversion. And what is so crazy is, you know, this is also in our verse. Uh, I'm going to actually go back to verse 24 in the Agarit to the Romans. 
It says, therefore, God in wrath delivered them over to the ta'avot, the desires of their levavot, their hearts, to the tuma, which is the uncleanness, to the dishonoring and perverting of their bodies among themselves. Okay, so there's a whole lot of not good stuff happening, which is this verse here. Perversion. Okay, and then it says, going on, it says, Do not defile yourselves in any of these things, for in all of these ways, the nations which I am casting out before you were defiled. Why is that important to know? Because this right here teaches us that any of these abominations or perversions are part of nations that do not belong in the land of Israel, i.e. the land of Canaan. Because as Hashem has brought us out of Mitzrayim, there are currently nations who live in uh, Israel in that land uh, during the Torah that you know, Hashem is bringing us in and moving them out. And the reason why they don't get to stay is because they're not following Torah. So think about that when it comes to Mashiach returning, gathering us all in from the four corners of the earth, bringing us to his holy place. If you are walking in the ways of the nations, then you do not get to be a part of Israel. You do not get to come in. You are not gathered in. So that's not good, okay? So um, the nations are actually supposed to convert and walk in ways of Torah, okay? Like the whole thing about conversion is because we're supposed to be a light to the nations. And when we shine light to the nations, true light, those who are like understand light and they're not all like rebellious and stuff because there are just some people who are just going to be rebellious and we have to deal with that and that's fine. Uh, as uh, Rabbi Griffin so graciously shared that part of gathering in divine sparks is sparks that you sought to gather and they don't get gathered because the, the uh, opportunity was never taken or there were lots of no's and there was lots of, no, I will not be Torah observing. This is just something I won't do. So if you're inviting people to shul, you're inviting people to Arab Shabbat and all sorts of stuff and they're not partaking of it, You've gathered in divine sparks, Mazal Tov, seriously, because that's the way it works. Now everyone is left without excuse that you've ministered to. The blood is not on your hands, okay? So let's go out and uh, be lights because those who want the light and don't know they want the light, when they see it, they're going to like moth to a flame, okay? And uh, we have to know that. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing to the nations because ultimately Hashem doesn't want anyone to perish, i.e. neither should we. And so gathering in those divine sparks is what we have to do. So now that this is all going down, it says that, you know, the nations are going to be cast out because they do this. So if you're Israel and you are, you know, not doing things that Israel would do, then, uh, yeah, that's uh, hearken to these words. Okay, anyway, so moving on, says the land has become defiled, okay, because the nations who don't follow Torah, who are currently in the land of Canaan, I mean, when I say currently, by the way, just to make sure we're all on the same quote-unquote page, that I'm talking about the time frame of Israel in the wilderness 
Mount Sinai, heading to the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness, all that going into the land. Like during that time period, there were nations in the land, you know, of Canaan. So when I say that, okay, so now though that group of people, because of their actions and their ways, they defile the land. Okay, because things you do to the land or in the land actually cause the land to absorb it. Okay. So if you're uh, doing all sorts of vile things that you should not be doing, you now cause that to go out into the atmosphere and all of the atmosphere absorbs that. Okay. I know the hippy dippy people. I don't, man, I'm sorry. I don't mean to say hippy dippy people. The more aware of the spiritual reality of existence, those type of people, they understand that as bad energy. We understand bad energy whether we know it or not because when someone walks in a room with a frowny face, they give off what's called a vibe or a don't talk to me kind of uh, feeling and you go, oh, I don't think this person's happy. Well, if you say anything like that or if you respond to anything of the, of the sort, you now understand what bad energy is. So anyway... Uh, I don't know why I went there, but just want to let you know that that's why the land is defiled is because they are doing defiling things. And so what's the response to this? Hashem says in verse 25, he says, so I will punish its iniquity and the land will vomit out its inhabitants, which is interesting because in his galut, which is revelation, Hashem says those who are lukewarm, I will vomit out. Which means they're neither hot nor cold. They're not, they're either, they're not either fully rebelling against me or they're not even fully devoted to me. So they're like somewhere in between. They're like, they don't even know which one they really want to do. And so therefore I vomit them out. And so that's just kind of interesting when you correlate it to this, because vomiting out has to do with, you know, truly not being for Torah. It's almost better for us to either not be with Hashem and, you know, understand the ramifications of that choice or be with Hashem and do everything we possibly can to stay glued and attached. So anyway, uh, next verse, it says, you, however, are to keep my statutes, which are, you know, civil things. It says uh, the ordinances, you know. Slika, the, the, the written instructions that Hashem has given us and do none, a big N-O-N-E, none, which means don't do any of these. He says, don't do and do none of these abominations, neither native born nor outsider dwelling among you. Okay, so that's our part that's our portion of the Torah. I was going to be like, that's our portion of the Torah. Okay, anyway. So, how does that tie to Egeret to the Romans? All right, so let's read the verses. Egeret to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason... Oh, let me read it from the crazy version. Okay, which is the OJB. The orange juice version. Okay. And version with a B. So orange juice version. All right. Likewise. Nope. Going up one. For this reason, 
Adonai in wrath delivered them over to Paskudne, which is contemptible sexual desires. For their females traded off natural sexual intercourse for unnatural. Likewise, also, the males abandoned natural sexual intercourse with female with the female counterpart and were inflamed with craving for one another males with males committing what is indecent and receiving back in exchange in themselves the appropriate gemul which is retribution also seen in Yeshiyahu 3:11 which quickly it says, Oi to the Rasha, the wicked one, it shall be Ra with him, which is Ra is bad, evil, negative, not good, blah, don't get you some. That's what that word means. And then it says, For what is for what his hands have wrought will be done to him. So what what you do will be done to you. That's called wickedness, okay? For the Rasha. If a person is going to be a Rasha, a wicked person, it, it's not going to be good with him. So when it's not good with him, then he's got choices to make. And if he continues to make bad choices, that results in bad actions, which they now come back to him because what his hands have done will be done to him. So it's important to know if you're considered to be someone who is not walking in righteousness and you're keeping that cycle going. It is a cycle of doom, a cycle of destruction, and you're only going to get out what you or you're going to get back what you put out. So, like it says here, that the trading in of the natural sexual intercourse for the unnatural. So now since you've done that. Now you're going to get nothing but perverse, corrupt, uh, inflamed. Uh, you're going to like really desire it. You're really going to want it because you're now put yourself in this position of not wanting what Hashem originally set. You know, it's just kind of it's the uh, the picture of you get sat down to your dinner table by your parents and you go, I don't want to eat that. And they're just like, well, this is dinner. Now, if you were a child back in my day with the parents that I that existed in the world in my day, then you chose a fast day if that happened. Now, the thing is, is you uh, you don't get to eat because you said you didn't want to. So now you're having to fall asleep, hopefully, if you can, by some miracle, uh, because you're starving. Then you wake up for breakfast. You have another choice to make. Here's our breakfast. Yeah, well, I'm not going to eat that. And I'm still upset about last night. It's just like, okay. So you've now added inflammation to this. You've now been inflamed with making a bad choice. So now you're not even eating breakfast. And now you got to go to school and try to stay awake and be focused and have enough energy to make it through the day. And so now you're hitting up the vending machine. Now you're hitting up your friends. Now you're asking for food on the bus. Yes, it, there were times, or yeah, I think they still have school buses now. So yeah, it's not different. So, so yeah, you'll get yourself into that predicament. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so fine, I made it. You think. But now, 
school's done because school's only for a lot of the amount of time. Now you got to go back home and now it's time for dinner again. You're like, I have food earlier. I don't need this dinner. I don't want to eat this dinner anyway. So now you're madder than you were last night, madder than you were the following mor morning. And then you thought you got your way, you got your fix throughout the day. But now the choice again to what started this whole cycle is presented before you. And now you think you know it all. You think you got it. You think you don't need to change your ways. That is called Rasha. And that is called you will get what your hands have done. So you will get the ramifications of your actions. Okay, so because of that, um, because we weren't okay with what Hashem did, Hashem was like, okay, you want to pervert my Torah, you want to pervert my truth, you want to change up my law, you want to go with this new thing, you want to be new age, then guess what? It's going to come with all this stuff. That that's, that's what you've earned. That's what you have. You think I'm okay with it, and I'm not. And you don't want to change because you know what the truth is. I'm telling you that you should make teshuva because, you know, in order for you to change, that's what your teshuva is. That's why Yeshua is who he is. You know, that's why he was manifest in these times is because it's now getting close to the final redemption. So here is 2000 years worth of opportunity. Is anybody going to take it? No. OK, just a few groups here and there. OK. All right. Well, Brugashem, um, Mashiach will be here soon. So, okay. Anyway, so that is the case. Okay, so uh, to finish out our verse, it says that for their toys, which is error. Okay, so likewise, the males abandoned natural sexual intercourse with their female counterpart and were inflamed with craving for one another, males with males, committing what is indecent and receiving back in exchange in themselves the appropriate gemul, which is retribution, for their toys, which is their error. So you're receiving something back for, for what you've been doing, okay? And ultimately, when you look at Akari Mode and Kedoshim, you know, you see what we should be doing, and then you find out what we should not be doing. And so the choice is up to us. And I love that when you put Akare Mot Kedoshim together, it literally means after the death, holiness or holy ones. You know, so after your death, we become holy ones. After our deaths, we become holy ones. Like die to self kind of thing. So... My parsha Kedoshim drop is from Vayikra chapter 20 and uh, starting in verse 11. It says, if a man lies with his father's wife and has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death and their blood shall be on them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed a perversion and their blood shall be on them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be on them. If a man takes a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, both he and they. So, 
that there may be no wickedness among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you are to kill the animal. Side note, Sifte Chakamim Bamibar 20, verse 30, uh, about Balaam, Balaam and his donkey, Chamor. Okay, so this is going to get awkward, but as if the whole podcast hasn't been awkward. It says, um, I sent it out to pasture. It means they are grazing in the dirt, as if to say, the horses are grazing in the field, but she said to him, I am your donkey. He said, yes, for carrying a burden, but not for riding. But she said to him that you have been riding on me. He said, sometimes on a temporary basis. But she said to him, all of your life until this very day, and not just this, but you have also lain with me. As it says, was it ever my habit? It says, for concerning Avishag the Shunammite, as it is written in Melachim 1, 1 Kings 1, chapter 1, verse 4. To be a covering for the king means to warm him by lying with him. So there's this uh, picture here of the uh, the the covering that should happen for just laying, but it's talking about the fact that Balaam did a little bit more with just cover and lay with his donkey. And uh, she uh, was forced to do that. And, uh, you know, that's obviously why the donkey died uh, in that passage. You also, this is Parsha Balak, by the way. And uh, very awkward because, you know, bestiality is what that is commonly known as. And, uh, you know, just going through the text and rightly dividing the word, i.e. Sifte Chakamim, that's what they're doing. That's the source on that. Sifte Chakamim, Bami Bar, 2230. Talks all about that. So, uh, and then the last verse of Kedoshim that I wanted to cover was the rest of this passage here, this little snippet. I'm reading these in context because you have to know what's surrounding the key verses in order to get a better picture. Because if you just take a take a verse, you can just do whatever you want to do with it. Oh, wait, I don't know where that's happening. But anyway, I digress. It says if a woman approaches any animal and lies down with it, you are to kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death and their blood shall be on them. Now. I know what you're thinking. Where was the fact that the donkey got killed, but Balaam didn't get killed? Well, he actually did, you know, uh, by a member of the tribe of Dan under the uh, supervision of Caleb and Pincus. Yeah, so that that's how Balaam died. So, uh, yeah, that did happen. He got put to death by the sword, just like the donkey got put to death by the sword. Okay, so... Bringing that all out uh, between Akare Mode and Kedoshin, we see about these abominations and these defiling acts. And they all happen because we don't do what's written in Vayikra 19. You shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the B'nai Amecha, the children of your people. Ve'ahavta l'reka kamoka. But 
conjunction. Okay, so buzz, Ashkenazi conjunction. Thou shalt love your neighbor as you love yourself. Ani Adonai. You mean like the greatest commandment that Mashiach talks about in Matityahu chapter 22? He says this in that section. This is just extra for no reason right here. Well, I guess there is a reason because it's the words of Mashiach. So uh, anytime I get to teach words of Mashiach, I will do it, even if it's extra. Okay, so 22, Matityahu 22, verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost mitzvah. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. So when you think about the whole law and the prophets, right? Depend on these two things. And if you don't do these two things, you you by default reject Torah. You reject all these verses that were just brought down in Kedoshim. So the cool thing about this is when you look at everything that we've talked about thus far, and if we don't love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We can go to the Hasidic insights on uh, Vayikra, and uh, this is 1918. You must love your fellow as you love yourself. It says the Torah commands us to love our fellow Jew and to love God. It also commands us to love converts in order to make it clear that the mitzvah to love our fellow Jew includes them. Okay, just just saying it totally says that. And then it says this as well. It says. There's a little drop about Hillel. It says, this explains how Hillel, when asked by a prospective convert to teach him the whole Torah while standing on one foot, could answer. Okay. When asked, Slika, when, so Hillel, the great Hillel, great, great, great grandfather of Mashiach, when he was asked by a prospective convert to teach him the whole Torah while standing on one foot, could answer, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Ready for that source? Other than 1918 Hasidic Insights, Parsha Kedoshim. It is from Tractate Shabbat 31a. Okay. Then it says, it's easy enough to understand how all of the Torah's social commandments can be reduced to love of one's fellow. But how can all its mitzvot that do not relate to one's relationship with others be reduced to this mitzvah? Okay, and that comes by way of Rashi. The answer is that the commandment, the mitzvah can be fulfilled only if we elevate our perspective to that of the divine soul, i.e. the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, Mashiach Yeshua. If we elevate our perspective there, set our minds on things above, put off the old, put on the new, count your omer, says this elevation is indeed the goal of all of the Torah's mitzvot. 
That is dropped from the Tanya, chapter 32. So we see how all of the Torah hang on these mitzvot because they contain all of the mitzvot. And so we can't just say, well, I don't eat kosher because I love my neighbors. I love myself. Well, you're not eating kosher. Just totally nullified that. Okay. So if you love your neighbors, you love yourself, you would eat kosher because you have to understand that your perspective has to be elevated to that of divine soul, which you finally find out what is the goal of all the mitzvot of Torah, which means I do these mitzvot with the goal in mind. And I do these mitzvot in the awareness and in the actuality of the goal. Because we learn Mashiach is the goal, the end of Torah. Okay, that's what that means. That's also in the Agarit to the Romans. And with that being the case, that's how we operate and live our lives so that we're not in perverse world. We're not in suppressing truth world and wickedness and all that kind of stuff. So, Baruch Hashem. Todarabah for joining me on the Agarit to the Romans podcast. And again, uh, another shout out to Naria Roke. Been enjoying my time with podcasting with you. And may we podcast again soon on something else, if not on the Romans series. But thank you again, Todarabah, for all that you've done thus far. And we are carrying it on from here. And we bless you in your endeavors. To everyone, I just wanted to say Shavuot Tov. May you continue to count your Omer, continue to increase your superpower, continue to fight for bringing the redemption, and continue to prep for the third and final temple with the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Baruch HaBashem Adonai, Adonai Lok Le'olam Ba'eit. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.